Good morning. Uh, that video was in reference to a, a one parable of Jesus. We're going to look at a different parable of Jesus this morning as we continue the series. But first of all, I think most of the kids have already headed out that way, but our kids are going to head out to Children's Church, so that's in the other building across the way. So if you've got kids in that age group, they're headed that way. And we've got a nursery over there as well uh, and a cry room in the back. So if you need to take advantage of any of those, uh, you can do so this morning. Uh, Today we're continuing uh, this series uh, entitled Rich, and we're going to look at a strange and uh, in many ways difficult, I think, to understand parable in Luke 16. So we're going to be there in a little bit. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can, or uh, start heading that direction, but we'll get there in in a few minutes. Uh, But before we do that, I want to jump back to a scripture that I kind of read towards the end of last week, partly because it'll kind of help bridge the two, um, also because... I got sidetracked in the middle of it last week and didn't finish it. So uh, you may have noticed that last week that there's more on the screen than I got to. Uh, but this is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it even speaks to this foundation language that was in the video there. That Paul says, uh, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And then I got sidetracked there. Then he keeps going, though. And says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Uh, So a few things there that have to do with that, and I think kind of this series and and where we're going to go this morning as well. First of all, and I, I mentioned this last week, but he mentions there that the stuff that we have, God provides for us to enjoy. Uh, that sometimes I think when we begin talking about money, especially in church, we, we kind of see it as this guilt trip of sorts that I'm, I'm spending too much of it on myself and I need to be doing more for other people and things like that. And that's good. We, we, in, in some ways, we need to be reminded of our call to be generous and to share and all those things that Paul mentions there. Uh, sometimes I think we, we talk about sharing with our kids, but as adults, we don't talk about sharing as much. And maybe as adults, we need lessons on, on sharing just as much or more so than our kids sometimes. Uh, but he also says these are things that God gives us to enjoy. Uh, we're, we, if I give my kid a gift, I don't, I don't expect them to feel guilty about it um, and to think, oh, no, what, what do I have to do now for my dad now that he's given me this gift, right? When I give, Isley had her birthday this past week. We give her gifts because we want her to enjoy them. Uh, but we also hope that, that she has this perspective that everything that I have isn't just for my consumption. And if my brother wants to share one of these gifts that I've gotten, one of which I got two of, and so if he wants to play with one, I should be willing to share with him because I have literally two of the same thing. That sounds very specific, but, you know, that was our house Friday morning. So. <laughs> um, and so it goes both ways, that God blesses us with these things for us to enjoy, but also to, we should have this perspective that I have to be generous with these things that I have. And I think especially with that enjoyment, and I kind of started here last week, and so I'm not going to do this every week, but if you missed last week, as we enjoy the things that we have and seek to be generous with them, that's going to look different for different people. Um, and the way that I use my money and enjoy my money may be different than you. And we, we, we all need to, I think there's, there should be an accountability of sorts built in there. We need to be honest with ourselves about what we're doing with our money. Uh, but also to realize that that may look different in our different lives. Um, and, and we all need to be collectively moving towards Christ as we're trying to do these things. 
Uh, as I said, Paul also uses this foundation language there, which is uh, Paul's words here and, and, and many of Jesus' words are where I get this idea of, of Jesus seems to talk about money in terms of investing. And you see it here in Paul's words that, you, that when you use your money in this way, you're laying up for yourself a foundation um, to come. And so there's this idea of, of laying up for yourselves and, and investing and, and investing in what is truly life. Again, this is language that Jesus uses as well. And so I think with many topics, money certainly included, uh, we come to this point as believers where, where we have to make this, this choice. That if the life that, that Jesus is calling me to, if I believe that the life that Jesus is calling me to is really, truly life to the fullest. If I believe that the life Jesus calls me to is the best way to live. If I believe, like Paul says, that this is the life that is truly life. At some point, I've got to ask myself, do I trust that is true? And I'm, am I going to make the necessary steps that, that I need to make, the, the, maybe the changes that I need to make to live that out. Um, I remember when Isley was younger, when she was much younger and kind of just learning to do, you know, certain things and tasks, I got in the habit of asking her, if I was trying to get her to try something or trying to get her to do something new or something along those lines, um, if I was fairly sure that I could control the, the results of whatever I was asking her to do, I would ask her, I would say, Isley, do you trust me? And so usually she would say yes. <laughs> say, Isley, do you trust me? Yes. Then I want you to try this, or I want you to do this, or I want you to whatever. And so most of the time she would do that. And so I started doing this with a few different things. And so then one day, Isley asked me to do something. And she, I don't even remember what it was, but she asked me to do something. I was like, yes, Isley, I'll do it. And she said, you're, you're going to do this, Yes. And so then, in a situation where we would normally expect someone to ask, like, do you promise that you are going to do that? She asked me, do you trust me? <laughs> and I kind of laughed it off at first and thought it was, you know, cute and, oh, you're, you're kind of using that not in the right way, but it's cute and funny. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, that's really a profound view of trust. <laughs> because Isley had become to associate trust with action. And then if I, you're, when you ask me, do I trust you, what you're really asking me is, are you going to do this? And that trust and action were completely linked together. And so when she really wanted to ask me, are you going to do this? Can I count on you to do this? What she asked me was, do you trust me? Um, and I think that's a great way of thinking about trust when it comes to us and God and us and whoever. If I trust in God, if I'm going to put my hope in him, if I'm going to trust in him as my master, to use language that's in the parable that we're going to look at today, um, is that going to be followed through with action on the things that Jesus calls me to do with my life, um, with my words, with my actions, with my stuff? Uh, so that's where we're headed this morning, like I said, in, in Luke 16. And so this parable that we find in Luke 16 um, there are all kinds of different interpretations about it. It's very strange. It seems to, in some ways, not really fit with other things that Jesus talks about. Um, and so because of that, there's all kinds of different interpretations on some of the specifics and details of the parable. And so we're not going to get into a whole lot of those this morning. But if you want to come to our fellowship hall class afterwards and ask some of those, you can do that. Or you can ask me later because, needless to say, you'll probably have some questions if you really start digging into this parable. Uh, but that said... Even within all the kind of nuance of this parable, I think there are a couple of, of sneakily simple messages tucked into it. And so in some ways, I think it's easy to get kind of sidetracked by some of the finer points of the story, so much so that we miss the big picture things of what Jesus is doing here. 
uh, that he really kind of hits us over the head with. Uh, And Jesus likes to do that in his stories. Uh, I think it's important to remember that parables are, they're constructed realities. They're stories that Jesus tells to make a point. And so Jesus will often include elements in his parables that are intentionally designed to be shocking, uh, to jolt the, the, the hearer, the reader, kind of out of a normal way of seeing things and to think, oh, wait, that's not how I expected that story to go. What is Jesus trying to tell me in that? And so this story uh, certainly fits into that idea. This parable, it begins in, in Luke 16, verse 1. That's where we're going to pick up. It's at the very beginning of, of Luke 16. And it comes right in the middle of five parables that Luke includes together, three of which we know very well, uh, or, or you may know very well, at least in, in Luke 15, which is a parable of three lost things. The first two parables are about someone who loses something of value and then finds it and then throws a big party to celebrate. The third one, then, is the parable of the prodigal son, um, and where the son is the one who is lost and then is found, and then his family celebrates, at least everybody except the brother. Um, And so those three are often kind of grouped together. They're all told in one kind of nice, concise little package there in Luke 15. But then, at least in my Bible, you literally turn the page to Luke 16. If you turn over to Luke 16, Luke immediately begins another parable that seems to be somewhat connected to these in Luke 15. And so this is where we're going to pick up then this morning uh, in Luke chapter 16, picking up in verse 1. And I think right away we're going to see a connection to the one that he has just told in Luke 15. The beginning, it says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Uh, now, if you remember the parable of the prodigal son, it's at one point in the prodigal son, it says the, the son who asked, he asked for half of his father's stuff, and he goes off, and it said he squandered or he wasted his possessions. It's the same word uh, that's used here. So we've got another person who is being wasteful um, with stuff. Rich man who's accused of wasting, uh, a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in. And asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to him, what shall I do now? My master is talking about taking away my, my master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of the master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, take your bill and make it 800. Someone knocking on that door? Oh, it's like there's a parable somewhere in there, right, about knocking the door and letting people in or something. So it's like probably something we should pay attention to, right? But all right, anyways, uh, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, 
so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. All right, so we've got this interesting little parable where Jesus seems to sort of be uh, praising the actions of a dishonest manager who knows he's about to be fired and thinks, how can I protect myself on the way out? Uh, Again, there are different interpretations of, of, of what you think he's doing with money here. Some people think what he's doing is taking off the commission that he is owed from these people's bills, and so he's... This is him kind of turning away from his love of money and, and seeking something else instead. Uh, others think, no, he's really just lowering what his master is going to get back in the long run. And the master, he says, look, you know, I know I'm going to get less back, but I'm at least impressed by what you did. <laughs> uh, like, kudos to you on thinking of something on the way out. Uh, so again, there are m- different ways you can read this. However you read it, um, it's tough to really hold up this manager as like a model moral person, right? Um, I don't think that's the point Jesus is making here. The point Jesus is making isn't to say, hey, just go out and be dishonest with whatever you can. Uh, That would certainly seem to fly in the face of anything else Jesus does. But he does seem to hold up this guy and say, look, this guy has recognized something and realized something about stuff and about money that maybe even some of you haven't really grasped yet. And so he tells these three parables in Luke 15, all of which have to do with money in some way. And then to me, it feels like, in the beginning of Luke 16, it feels like he's, he's told these parables, there's a bunch of people around, it feels like he kind of like, tells his disciples, hey guys, lean in, I need to tell you something. And so they kind of lean in, and he's like, no, a little, a little closer. And so they lean in, and Jesus is just like, listen guys, it's just stuff. <laughs> just stuff. What are you, you going to do? Serve it? Worship it? Hold on to it? For, for what purpose? It's just stuff. Do something with it. Be creative. Be resourceful. Be shrewd. Just do something. It's just stuff. So then he has this little conversation with the Pharisees. Then he goes on. The very next parable, the fifth of this set, is about a rich man. Starts out the same way. A rich man who fails to see a poor man sitting outside of his gate, fails to see the opportunity he has to bless someone else with his stuff, and in the end of the parable ends up going to the bad place. (laughs) an interesting way. It's a harsh way of looking at that, at that parable, but that's kind of the way it, it goes about. It kind of hits this, this point hard that, look, if, if you've got stuff, don't miss opportunities to do stuff for others with your stuff. It's a lot of stuff, but I think that's the point Jesus is kind of making here. Uh, I don't think he's praising this man's dishonesty, but is instead holding up the, the ingenuity, the cleverness, the resourcefulness of even a dishonest person to make his point. And again, I think the basis of his point is this. 
is that money is meant to be used, not to be something that uses you. And this is what makes money such an important topic for us as believers, because it's not just that we are capable of misusing our money. Uh, It is that our money is capable of misusing us. And if we are not really careful, we we can fall into that trap very quickly and very easily. Uh, Most of us already this morning have made multiple financial decisions. Um, Most mornings, and every Sunday morning, I drive out of my way to the McDonald's over by Target because they have the best Dr. Peppers of the McDonald's in the area. (laughs) I pass one to get there, and the other one on the highway over here is is a shorter distance. Um, I don't think about it this way, but that's a financial decision that I make every morning. (laughs) To drive longer, I've got about a 40-second commute that I turn into about a 15-minute commute (laughs) to go get my preferred Dr. Pepper. Um, It's a financial decision that I make to spend more gas to get there. Uh, Some of us stopped at Starbucks this morning or a gas station or McDonald's or wherever else to get breakfast. That's a financial decision that many of us made this morning. Uh, Just getting here, as I said, most of you used gas to get here, which is a financial decision that you made this morning. Even things that we wouldn't think about, like the thermostat that our home is in when we wake up in the mornings, is a financial decision. We make so many financial decisions that we just kind of begin to make them on autopilot. And it's like, well, this is is what I do. This is how things go. And and some of that is necessary because, you know, we just, there are things we kind of have to put on autopilot in our lives. Uh, but what that can lead to is this way of we just get in this cycle of, of our money using us and we don't even really think about it. And we just start going and going and now I'm on this path and I never think about really what I do with what I have. The voice translation translate the middle, translate the middle of this kind of really difficult, I think, in some ways to understand passage this way. This is towards the end of this parable. Luke 16, this is eight, verses 8 and 9 in the voice. It says, when the manager's boss realized what he had done, he congratulated him for at least being clever. That's how it is. Those attuned to this evil age are more clever, clever in dealing with the affairs than the enlightened are in dealing with their affairs. Learn some lessons from this crooked but clever asset manager. I like the way that, that phrases it. Yeah, he's crooked, but kind of look past that for a minute. He's also pretty clever. His crookedness is driving him to be clever with what he's doing. Um, What if your kingdom-mindedness drove you to be just as clever? I think is the underlying question there. Uh, Realize that the purpose of money is to strengthen friendships, to provide opportunities for being generous and kind. Eventually, money will be useless to you. But if you use it generously and to serve others, you will be welcomed fully into your eternal destination. Uh, The purpose of money is, I think, really what Jesus is trying to drive home here, and he drives it home more fully in kind of his explanation of the parable when he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And in that statement, Jesus uh, does something pretty important for us, I think, and something that we need to notice, and that is that he's making the point that money has the potential to be a master over us that money can take the place that God is supposed to have in our lives. Uh, And again, this can happen very intentionally, that that people can be chasing that very intentionally, or if we're not careful, it can happen 
just kind of without us even recognizing it because we just fall into this trap of using our stuff and eventually it uses us. And so I think where we might say something uh, when we're kind of trying to pay attention to our money and what we do with it, I think we may be tempted to say something like, it's just stuff, don't be too attached to it. But Jesus takes it a step further and says, it's just stuff, don't let it become your master. Don't serve it. And even when we think of ourselves as having a toxic relationship with our stuff, I think we like to imagine that we are still the ones in control. I can let go of this, some, of, some of this stuff if, if I really needed to. Uh, I'm going to hold on to this stuff in case I need it. Um, I can get rid of stuff if I wanted to. I can change my perspective. If you think about that, I think you could think of ways in which maybe you have told yourself, I, I can certainly think of ways I've told myself some things like that about money. But when you kind of just take away the money part of it and just say those things, it kind of sounds like you're talking about drugs or something like that that you're addicted to, right? I can give this up if I need to. You know, I just don't want to. Or <laughs> I'm using it for something else. Or I'm waiting for this. Or whatever it may be. Uh, but Jesus says, no, 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 that's not it. Uh, actually, you may actually be serving your money. It's not just that you may be misusing it. It's that you may be falling under the control of what you have. So at the end of this parable, um, in verse 14, Luke points out the Pharisees, and I love it when people say emphasis added, like as if their Bible has special like italics or underlined parts that yours don't, like they have to point out emphasis added. So emphasis added on this part up here, (laughs) but I think Luke wants us to see it in really bold letters because he says right after this parable, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So again, he's talking to his disciples, kind of pulled his disciples in close. He's telling them this, but the Pharisees are kind of still listening at the edges. And they hear this, and they're like, that guy, what does he know? Because they love money. The word there for loved uh, is is literally something like covetous, uh, that they coveted and, and pursued the accumulation of money. And so they're just going to kind of put up, nah, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> In saying that money has the capacity to rule over us as master, Jesus portrays money as an entity capable of having its own desires, goals, and wishes for us. And so if you think back, if you were here last week, we kind of talked about this last week, and as it talked about in the video, uh, that as people we kind of have this idea that uh, if I could just make enough or be comfortable enough, then I wouldn't have to worry, um, that whatever that next hill is that I can get over, if I can just do that, then I'll be okay. And even that mindset sets money up as an entity to which we are trying to satisfy or or satiate in our lives, uh, which is the place that God is supposed to have in our lives. Uh, And so anytime we start saying things like that or having that attitude, we, we are putting burden on money that it cannot fill because the satisfaction or rest that I seek in having enough is never actually reachable. Uh, There's a, an author, Jock Alul, uh, which is probably close to how you say his name, Um, but he said it this way, we must bring money back to its role as a material instrument. When money is no more than an object, when it has lost its seductiveness, its supreme value, its superhuman splendor, then we can use it like any of our other belongings, like any machine. Uh, One of the, the elders at a church that I worked at for a while, uh, told me a story one time. He said, I, he said uh, I had a friend, came back from a conference or traveling or something, 
he said he had this basketball signed by Bob Knight. Uh, Bob Knight was former uh, head coach at Indiana University, uh, very famous head coach, uh, now very, yes, and at Texas Tech, that's right. <laughs> uh, at one point was a less controversial figure than he is now, um, but he said, I got a basketball signed by Bob Knight, and he told my friend Roger, he said, I want to give it to you and your son. He said, I want you and your son to have this basketball signed by Bob Knight. And Roger, my friend, said, that's fine, we'd be honored to have it, but I'm just going to tell you, if you give us that basketball, we're going to play with it. And so the guy was like, well, it's signed by Bob Knight. He said, that's fine, but it's a basketball. If you give it to us, we're going to use it as a basketball. <laughs> and so he took it. I said, so is that what you did with it? He said, yeah. He said, it's a basketball. What else are we going to do with it? <laughs> so he could have sold it. <laughs> you could have bought 10 basketballs for what you, you know, then you could be resourceful and clever. And he's like, no, it's a gift. You know, I'm going to honor the gift, but it's a basketball. <laughs> What am I going to do? Sit it on a shelf? Well, yeah, that's what some people would do. <laughs> uh, but for Roger, he had no interest in sports, for one thing. Uh, but he had no interest in, in stuff having that type of value. He was just the kind of guy, if he had something, he was going to use it. Use it till it ran out and then do whatever with it and get something else. Stuff was just stuff to use. So he just had this attitude, like, if I have a basketball, what would I do with it besides use it as a basketball? <laughs> Uh, because of his perspective, not only on, on basketball, but just stuff in general, uh, this basketball that was supposed to have this certain allure to it, the certain power, the certain seductiveness, it had been stripped of all that. He's like, it doesn't mean anything to me. It just, it's got some marker on it. Like, <laughs> the marker kind of messed up the basketball a little bit, but other than that, you know, it's fine. Uh, it had completely been stripped of its seductiveness. And I think that's what happens to stuff sometimes for it, is it becomes seductive because of other value we attach to it. And, and so we literally sometimes put things like that on a pedestal and say, well, this is now worth something different to me. Instead of just saying, hey, it's stuff. What am I going to do with it besides use it as stuff? And I think that's the point that Jesus is making in this weird little parable. Uh, then when we recognize that the point of money is to use it, uh, and hopefully to use it for kingdom purposes, and hopefully to honor God in, in the way that we use it and enjoy it and, and share it in our lives, when we leverage it then in appropriate ways, we'll find opportunities to make good use of our money, to serve others, and to enjoy it, just as Paul instructs us to do. Uh, because it's hard to truly even just enjoy money when the perspective gets out of whack. Jesus tells us a story about a dishonest but resourceful and clever manager and invites us then to ask ourselves, what if all believers were as committed to cleverness, creativity, and generosity for kingdom purposes? Not for our own purposes or our own ambitions, uh, but what if we took some of these lessons from this crooked but resourceful manager and applied them to kingdom interests? Uh, and do I need to be honest with myself about the ways in which my money may be using me in order for that to happen? And I think the good news for all of us is that the life that is offered to us in Jesus is the life that is truly life. And while other things and interests and people and entities may vie for this position of master in our lives, Jesus stands apart as the one who promises us everlasting hope in him 
and who has backed it up and shown us that he can trust him by giving his life for us and showing his love for us and his ransoming of his life for ours. And so Jesus is asking this, do do you trust me? Here's all that I have done for you. I want you now to trust me and to follow in my footsteps. Uh, A master is one that we allow to shape our decision-making, to determine our purpose, and to assign value. And as Jesus said in Luke 16, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So I'm going to ask the the band to come back up now as we uh, prepare now to come around the table and share in our communion meal this morning. And so with those last words from Jesus in in Luke 15, in in verse 15 that we looked at in this section this morning, kind of on our hearts as we transition back into song, I want to ask us, how how do we determine and define value in our lives? Who are we looking to? Uh, to give those things definition for us, and who or what are we running towards in our very selves, at the core of who we are? What are our souls running toward, and how does that dictate what we do with our stuff? So let's stand, let's sing, and then we'll share in communion together this morning.
pray our prayer of confession together as we prepare to share in communion. And I'll pray the parts in white, and then together we'll pray uh, the parts in yellow. Our Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated.